The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for February 2nd, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young joining you here in Austin, Texas. Um, new month, new challenges, new Joe Biden. Uh, look. This is when he wants to kind of reset things. This is when he wants people to focus a lot more on the Supreme Court nomination process than on inflation. This is hopefully a good month when it comes to a literal breaking of the fever when it comes to Omicron. Could possibly, like Punxsutawney Phil, February Herald, some good news for the White House as they barrel ever precariously closer to the midterms. Well, two of the things that are going to determine that are out of his control, or at least more out of his control uh, since he said he wanted to have less to do with legislation. One of them is the Electoral Count Act. We told you about this a few weeks ago. In fact, it was during the process of the doomed voting rights push. Well, as we predicted, voting rights failed, and now Electoral Count Act is something that people are talking about. We're going to refresh you a little bit about exactly what it is, but the larger question that is arising out of the Biden White House is, should we support this bipartisan push? Because our bipartisan pushes, the reason why we can't get our partisan goals done, question mark, we discuss. Also, uh, the government's going to run out of money. (laughs) Uh, We are, as I record this, uh, 17 days away from a government shutdown. I don't have to uh, tell you that when you control both houses of Congress and the White House, the government shutting down is a fairly major embarrassment. What the hell is going on, considering it's been kicked down the road? This, I think, would be the fourth time if they do kick it down the road now. And do we have any kind of shot at it getting fully funded? That will be discussed. Also, I can't get enough, enough of this Pennsylvania Republican primary. Oh, my God. It is the best. So we had to bring in uh, one of our friends to discuss it. uh, Michael D. Cohen, the author of Modern Political Campaigns. Uh, I send him a bunch of YouTube 
links uh, so we could watch some of the television back and forth. And we are going to get his sense, not only on this race, but also something that was brought up by Evan Scrimshaw last week, which is where is the Mitt Romney archetype in 2022? Number one. And where is the celebrity archetype now that we have seen Trump rise out of nowhere, what he did in office, and now increasingly see him gear up for another run while being kind of more out-of-pocket Trump than ever? All of that. But first. The Electoral Count Act of 1887 was put in place after the controversy of the election of 1876. It took... 10 years from when a controversy happened for someone to do something about it. If you've ever thought that government moves slow in our modern era. But what it effectively did was set fairly rigid rules on exactly how Congress could interpret the will of the states when it came to a presidential election. Reminder that a federal election for president is, of course, 50 separate elections. That happen in all of the states. And when I say interpret those results, what the Electoral Count Act sought to do was not interpret them at all. Make some guidelines in case there were reasonable, uh, uh, you know, ways that things would uh, get wires crossed. But otherwise, make Congress a dumb pipe. They didn't want Congress to be able to send things back. Now. Since this has been in place for a long time, and many believe that it is not exactly an airtight piece of legislation that has only gotten weaker as more and more people have kicked it and studied it in the intervening century plus. Well, some folks believe it's in need of a new coat of paint. And the reason why, obviously, is everything that went down toward the end of Donald Trump's presidency specifically you had some legal minds who believed that it was mike pence's authority to effectively as donald trump said at a rally this weekend overturn the election so there is now the uh, center of legislative intrigue a bipartisan push for the Electoral Count Act. According to Politico, there are now nine Republicans that support Electoral Count Act reform. Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis, Roger Wicker, Rob Portman, Lisa Murkowski, Todd Young, Ben Sass, Shelley Moore Capito, and seven Democrats, Janine Sheehan, uh, or sorry, Shaheen, Kirsten Cinema, Chris Coons, Mark Warner, Ben Cardin, and Chris. Murphy, Uh, of course, Joe Manchin says that he indeed is uh, uh, something that he is he is watching very, very closely. This is something that he's watching very closely. 
The weird thing about this is that it doesn't particularly seem like there is a wide gulf in terms of what the Democrats and what the Republicans want in terms of reforming the uh, Electoral Count Act. Both of them believe that basically you are just removing any kind of the wiggle words or language that would give the vice president anything much more than a ceremonial role in this process. A reminder that part of the wrangling that the uh, uh, Trump team, and I'm using that in quotes because it went through so many different incarnations in the final phases of his presidency, but whomever was pushing the Electoral Count Act scheme, the idea was to have Pence send the slate of electors back to the states with a deadline to basically correct any errors that they had the republic controlled st- the republican controlled state houses would then uh not correct those therefore taking these states out of the running now i'm going to pause here and say that while I am in favor of the Electoral Count Act reform, it's an old piece of legislation. It probably deserves a tighter wording. And I think that it is a wise bipartisan move for D.C. They are very, very scarred by the January 6th stuff. There are if anybody is going to take these elements of government as seriously as they are going to be taken, it is the deliberative body of Congress. I also think that in a lot of ways, it still kind of worked. We might not have liked the way it worked. You know, it it, might have worked ugly. But if we were looking for a stress test, the fact that Mike Pence didn't do it is not the end of how that process would have went. I mean, at that point, you would have then sent all these uh, slate of electors back to the states and these state houses would have had to hold them for like two weeks. I think these would have been massive, massive, massive situations that I, I, I don't know if everybody that was needed to remain firm to overturn an election for the glory of Donald Trump would have done it. That being said, let's get back to the process at hand. I do think that the the Electoral Count Act does need a little tweaking. Here's what's interesting about it, though. Republicans involved in the Senate talks say that Biden and his staff have been AWOL. Now, he telegraphed this, right? He said he didn't want to be the legislator in chief. But here's the interesting part. According to some Democrats, The obsession with bipartisanship that Biden says he is for, and obviously Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema have uh, uh, made names, both famous and infamous, depending on who you you talk to. Some believe that this bipartisan uh, push has only emboldened one man. As long 
as Mitch McConnell keeps allowing bipartisan alternatives to flourish, that means Manchin will wander away, lured by the Pied Piper of bipartisanship from more progressive alternatives. Many of which, or many folks still remember the fact that he was lured, seduced by the bipartisan infrastructure framework when he should have been focusing on one gigantic package with the BBB. So, will Biden put his muscle behind the ECA? According to Politico, he does not want it to be viewed as a replacement for the voting rights bills which aren't going to get passed. So the question becomes, do you not support the Electoral Count Act because it could be seen as a replacement for the things that weren't going to get passed before? I mean, oh, I don't quite know how looking at bipartisan alternatives to things that almost certainly were not going to get passed hurts anything. I mean, I guess this is just one of those things where it's like, I don't understand the end game here. I really just don't. But uh, I feel like this is like half my segments end like this with just me giving an exasperated sigh and saying, I, I don't know what they're doing. I do think that that, that the Electoral Count Act is going to uh, is going to happen. In fact, uh, a Politico does make it out that one of the things that is really kind of the last stop before this really does catch momentum is that the Republicans need 10 senators right now. They have nine. So the moment that they bring one more person over, I think that'll be the uh, that'll be the moment. Uh, something to watch, though, is, you know, this did attract the attention to Trump. So will Trump scare anybody off? We will see. So it turns out the government needs money to operate. That's a thing that needs to happen. And usually you have a budget that gets approved for the year. Now, the likelihood of that getting done on the first try is usually spotty, unless it's a particularly sleepy moment in Congress, which it rarely is. But as I record this, there are 17 days until government funding expires. This has been kicked down the can or the can has been kicked down the road a couple times now. And while it is unlikely that the worst case scenario will happen, a.k.a. a government shutdown when the Democrats control both the House, the Senate and the presidency, the likelihood that the we are going to actually get funding is probably bleak. And that's largely because Joe Biden has the State of the Union coming up. It's in March. Now, that's late. Normally, it's a little earlier than that. But he does not want to go up there in front of the nation and have nothing to show for it. And so we've got a lot of things that are, you know, irons in the fire. We already talked about the Electoral Count Act, but 
you know, that's not exactly something that you want to tout, especially if your large uh, uh, counterpoint to it is that you don't want it to be the replacement for voting rights. Obviously, voting rights isn't happening. And we're probably still too far away from breaking out pieces of build back better. By the way, even after the acknowledgement that that was going to be the course, we've seen very, 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 very little progress on exactly what that would look like. So what is old Joe going to get up there and tout? Well, it's probably going to be this Chinese Competition Act. It's not exactly the sexiest thing. It's also facing the wrong ocean, considering the biggest international relations issue that we are facing currently is what's happening in Ukraine. And the Republicans in the House are already calling it the Concedes Act because they say it actually helps China. So where does that leave us with, you know, funding the entire government? Well, right now, the two sides haven't come to an agreement on a top line number or any kind of overall spending guidelines. This is largely because Republicans are demanding parity between any increases in defense and non-defense spending, which Democrats do not support. So basically, this is the Republicans way of saying, hey, if you want to raise spending on other things that you like, then you have to also raise it for the Department of Defense because the troops. Quote Senator Richard Shelby of Alabama, according to Punchbowl, I want parity. Absolutely. And I'm not by myself. America needs parity. There are a few other things, but maybe we'll have a better feeling by tomorrow. Now, that's not to say that this is impossible. According again to Punchbowl, sources close to the talk suggest a deal on a top line number may be possible by the end of the week. That would include a framework to begin drafting the 12 individual spending bills. That's partly why we haven't had a lot of motion on this, because if you don't have a top line number, then all of the different uh, all the different parts of the government can't then figure out what they want underneath it. One thing that will likely come as part of this is more covid funding. The White House is preparing for another request that could include both domestic and international priorities. The House Appropriations Committee chair Rosa DeLauro has asked the White House to hold off on that request for now until a top line number is agreed to. But if the Democrats are looking for a cudgel to move things forward, COVID money has been a pretty successful one, although the landscape has changed between the beginning of 2021 and the beginning of 2022. I don't know if gigantic sacks of money with COVID labeled on it are going to be as easily signed off on uh, you're going to need to explain exactly what it's for. So what's our, what's our bottom line here? 
well, government funding runs out on the 18th. And I don't think that four days after Valentine's Day, this thing is going to be sewn up. So expect another swift kick in the can down the road on it. But this might be the last one. If they can figure out a top line number, then then, you know, it, it all pretty much uh, winds up, you know, uh, kind of coming together from there. And there are meetings. So maybe this is, you know, government working. Another month in the books. January is gone. February is here. The shortest month of the year. The coldest month of the year. Black History Month is upon us. And we will be covering all of the midterm actions. We got primaries heating up. Ooh, man. Primaries are always the most fun. Because, you know, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, Super Bowl's coming up in, in two weeks. But, like, my favorite week of, like, NFL playoffs are always the, the, the divisional round and then the wild card round. Because you got a lot of games, you know. You got a lot of possibilities are still out there. It's like the first weeks of uh, uh, the NCAA tournament. Like, those are really fun. You got upsets and stuff like that. Primaries are really, really, really great. You get to see untested candidates emerge. Races that weren't supposed to be close, getting close. Upsets, a lot of wasted money. Few things I love more than a gigantic pile of wasted money, man. That's, that's, oh, campaign wasted money. Love it so much. Follow all of it with me. About to start booking some flights, getting out there, covering these things for you, for you, the listener. And obviously you can always listen for free. You can always support the show in ways that do not involve money. You can always tell a friend. You can always rate, review, and subscribe the show. That is something that is that is very helpful to the support and longevity of this program. But money is necessary. And uh, thankfully, so many of you uh, take just a little bit of your cold, hard cash and put it toward this fateful program. If you want to do that, it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus podcasts each and every week. Bonus podcast on Monday morning where I forgot that January had um, <laughs> January had 31 days. <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot about that. I labeled it the February 1st episode. It wasn't the February 1st episode, but still it showed up. It showed up. That is where we go over all the Sunday programs. We decode what both the media and the politicians and pundits are trying to get across so we can begin to understand the tempo of the week in Washington. And then, of course, the Thursday podcast, the late edition. Because of the recording schedule of this program, Thursday is the latest news we cover. So if news breaks on a Wednesday night, 
news breaks on a Thursday, the only place you hear about it first is on that uh, late edition. Guys, your support never, never ceases to amaze me. Thank you all one more time. Take, take politics seriously. Like I said, friends, I cannot get enough of the primaries and specifically the apple of my eye. Or maybe I should say the Permani brothers of my eye, the hoagie of my eye, the cheese whiz topped cheese steak sandwich of my eye is the Pennsylvania GOP primary for the Senate. Two dudes who work in New York City want to be the senator from the Keystone State and will tear each other apart to do it. Michael D. Cohen, of course, is the author of Modern Political Campaigns, How Professionalism, Technology, and Speed of Revolutionized Elections. He is going to help us break down the messaging between these two. Welcome back to the show, Michael. Thanks for having me. So I'm obsessed with this uh, PA uh, election. I uh, oh, this this PA this PA primary. Uh, I love the fact that uh, the anointed GOP uh, candidate flamed out almost immediately, like before, like uh, a sainted and sent out to the Super Bowl and uh, uh, ran out of gas before they crossed state lines. Uh, now we've got, I think, two fairly interesting candidates it's unfortunate that they both work in new york city that uh uh you know there is um you know a a a, a little bit of a a disconnect there but they are very compelling it is mccormick versus dr oz i sent you a bunch of the back and forth on their their television spots what is your just top line immediate thoughts on on the fault lines of this race so the top line here is that mccormick is sort of your paint by numbers republican before trump right son of a university president west point princeton army finance guy government guy did stuff with the think tank hedge fund guy right yeah and so all of that together seems to be like that's what you would have with mccormick with dr oz you basically have the inverse of that. You have Oprah's doctor and then nobody's doctor for a while because Oprah hasn't been doing that for a while. Yeah. So when you have sort of a celebrity candidate, you have a sort of paint by the numbers Republican candidate. But when you look at both of the ad, sets of ads, they're saying the same things, right? I'm just like you. I'm here for you. Yep. And oh, by the way, MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, they both understand that the you've got to go through MAGA to get the nomination in Pennsylvania, where Donald Trump is still fairly popular. In that vein, uh, McCormick has hired a bunch of ex-Trump folks to help run his campaign. Dr. Oz apparently has late night chats with Sean Hannity. And so that he is he is very much on the broadcast side of the the MAGA world. But I want to interrogate something that you said right there, the paint by numbers Republican thing, because I would agree with you on that with McCormick, but he's never held elected office like he's been named. He was in the the Bush White House 
but he's never run for office before. So he still is running on an outsidery kind of thing. So let me let me start here. Is everybody an outsider now? Like, is is that like, like in a post-Trump world, do you start with how outsidery am I and and then figure it out? Oh, absolutely. And these ads, I mean, they scream outsider. In fact, the the only time you ever see Dr. Oz in a suit is in the negative ad from the Patriot Pack, right? Yeah. And the only time you ever see McCormick in a suit is around a table for about 10 seconds in his ad. That's it. Everyone else is salt of the earth. Oh, I wear this all the time. Look at me. I'm outside of a, um, you know, a closed um, a refinery factory. Yeah. factory that's been closed since 2003. Look at me. I'm outside with a gun. You know, I, I am, I am not the guy you think I am um, is basically the, the whole story here. You don't see Dr. Oz in like a doctor's outfit. You don't see hedge phone guy in the suit as much, you know, working people. You basically see them as outsiders to begin with and then going in. And so, you know, the idea here is that, yes, no matter what, Trumpism, if anything, comes down to being an outsider first and then politician second. And you would never call yourself a politician. You're, you're always something else. We had a, uh, a guest on last week who helped us break down all of the Senate races, just kind of handicapping them. and. His argument was that Dr. Oz is a stronger general election candidate than McCormick because McCormick, you can if you're the Democrat, you can run against him as the the generic Mitt Romney playbook. You you find things in his hedge fund that are that are bad investments, that are ugly investments, that are on the other side of of what blue collar salt of the earth Pennsylvanians, specifically independents and Republicans, would mm-hmm. would find uh, uh, interesting or motivating for Democrats on the other side. And, and you run on him like that. I was wondering, though. Part of what sank Romney was that he ran away from Bain Capital. He he didn't want to talk about he wanted to talk about staples. He wanted to talk about all the hits and none of the misses. And he didn't want to talk about his gigantic house with an elevator in the garage, the garage that was also an elevator. It was both things. Look it up. I remember at the time. This was a point where I was listening to I had a lot of drives in the midday. So I was listening to Rush Limbaugh. This thing stuck with me that that old Rushbow was like. You can't run away from money if you're a Republican. If you're rich, you have to just say, yes, I have participated in the capitalist system in the greatest country in the world, and that has made me extraordinarily rich. Fast forward a few years. We have Donald Trump for whom that is the subject, the predicate, and a few uh, stops in between of almost everything he says is, "I'm super rich. I I, I am very That's happy exciting. about how 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 uh, rich I am." Has that Romney archetype changed post Trump? And especially if you're running toward the MAGA thing, are is there any kind of wealth for which you should be ashamed of or be minimizing? You know, wealth is only important in life and in politics is if you can deploy it. Okay. And so for McCormick, he frames it in his, in his first ad, frankly, um, that it's capitalism, not socialism. And oh, by the way, I'm a capitalist. 
Yeah. So he doesn't run away from that. You know, he understands the difference between capitalism and socialism. And so that's good. I, I that, 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 that should be a prerequisite if you're running for Senate. Right. It should be, right? Because <laughs> that, that, that's where we live, right? And, yeah. and certainly in a GOP um, primary, that's going to help. But that's him leaning into what he is. That's not him running away from it. So I, I think to a certain extent, that's that's sort of, you know, okay, what I am, before he all of a sudden becomes the guy who quotes every 80s or 90s song, you know, I was born here, I'll die here. Yeah. You know, he quotes Mellencamp. I won't back down to China, basically a Tom Petty riff. <laughs> and so before he does all of that, you know, he's saying, oh, by the way, I'm a capitalist, not a socialist. But if, all right, so, but if this were the exact Trump playbook, right, he would come in in a suit. He would come in on a private jet in a suit and say, look, I was sick of watching my mom, my dad, my uncles, all my friends get pushed around. Uh, uh, when I look at, at what is possible, I don't want to be here. I'd rather be in New York City eating escargot and, and living a really fancy life because I'm a fancy man. But I'm going to be here because it matters that much to me, as opposed to what he's doing now, which is, well, you know, even when I was in those boardrooms making those deals, I was still a yinzer at heart. And I, I'm, I'm still up here for my pierogies and, and, and going to Kennywood. Yeah, or falling off bridges that are, that are breaking. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> in Pennsylvania, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the, when I watched that, that ad, um, the ad is called, by the way, Dumb, which is kind of an odd, you know, title for your own ad. For your own ad, because right? yeah. he calls dumb government. Dumb government is well, his, I, is his I, catchphrase. And I get it, but, but yeah. when you look at, the, when you look at the, the screen capture, right? And when you actually import it into something, it actually is a picture of him and next to it, it says dumb. Dumb, yeah. <laughs> which, which isn't particularly smart, okay? <laughs> but one right. one might and, say the opposite of it. Right, one might say it might be dumb, right? Um, but the theme of the ad was, is I'm one of you. And basically what you're saying is I'm one of yous, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I was born here, I'll die here, even though I don't work here, or even if I didn't make my money here. But, you know, I get what you're saying. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who can come off and say, yeah, I'm rich. I'm awesome. I made my money somewhere else, but I'm coming home because this state needs my help. Like, it didn't seem like that was him. It was more of like, he is Mitt Romney. And yeah. Mitt Romney came to pull that off. And so the thing about Trump is not just I'm rich. It's I'm authentically rich, right? Or I tell you I'm rich so often that you believe I'm rich, right? Yes. Or, or I, I'm richer. I, I may not be as rich as I think I am, but I'm richer than you. So, you know, here's why you should listen to me. So that's not really his vibe. So I understand no. why we can go full Donald Trump there. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and also uh, it probably is unfair to hold anybody to Trump's standard with stuff like that, since it was literally his job to be famously rich. Like the yeah. way that, for, I mean, I, I've said this a bunch, but for, for new <laughs> listeners, the way that Donald Trump made money before and makes money now before he became president was not real estate deals in like he was scouting out real estate, was plots of land and, and developing from concept up. It was to maintain a aware brand in the in 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 the the minds of anybody so other people with ideas would come to him and say how about umbrellas how about 
uh, uh, hotels? How about golf courses? How about this? Because he's got the money, he's got the name that attracts other money. That's what it does. So when everything he did, when he woke up in the morning to going to sleep at night was thinking, how can more people know today rather than yesterday that I'm a very rich person for whom you should want to hang out at my insert product? So it's like, oh, I, I think, yeah, and that's, that's. Or I'm, I love education, so I'm going to make the best university ever. It was like some kids and said, hey, you ought to have steaks. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I ought to have steaks. I'm going to put my name on steaks. You got people who want me to put my name on steaks? I'll do that. Pay me. Yeah, because that was, yeah, he made money on yeah. the licensing of his name. Absolutely. So, so the, the, the things that go out there. But that was, and, and look, people can look at that as, as uh, uh, hard work or not, regardless the work he actually put in was in the branding and finding out exactly the frequency for which people wanted to hear about how rich he was. So it is unfair to be like, oh, just be like maybe the greatest branding guy at being rich ever. Uh, uh, But still, I I think that it is it is interesting to to look at the idea that like when he's running, the first thought is no, be fake local guy as opposed to authentic like i never wanted to move back to pennsylvania i wanted to die in connecticut but this political situation is so screwed that i have to come back and do it like i love my family that's why i'm back here but I, i i don't know i almost wonder whether or not for him that would be that would be a, a compelling thing, because I, I do think for a lot of what we consider to be Trump or MAGA voters, they don't really even need to like you. They need to just like what you say and and they need to not feel lied to because authenticity was a big part of, of of Trump's brand. So I wonder whether or not this is this is going to this is going to work for, for McCormick. Well, again, I think I think McCormick is sort of like in that narrow window of where he can operate, right? Mm-hmm. He's the guy who left, made a lot of money. He did serve. He served the country. He also served in government. He did some, you know, wonky things. And so he's not going to be the guy who's anything more than okay. I'm a weekend hunter, you know, yeah. or I'm a guy who may wear like an L. Bean jacket, you know, that maybe I bought downtown, you know, in Pittsburgh, you know. And so like, it's like, it's not like. You know, he doesn't go to Pittsburgh Steeler, you know, games. You know, you're not going to see him at a Pittsburgh Penguins game. You're not going to see him walking up and down, you know, roads that used to have, you know, profitable businesses. He's not Fetterman, right? Yeah. I mean, he's not going to be that guy, right? So he's got to be the guy who he is. And frankly, most people can usually sniff out how authentic you are unless you are a sort of reality warping billionaire like um like Trump, you know, who, yeah. you know, and Trump was playing who he wants to be. And so that was authentic. It was what he's been for the past, you know, 30, 40 years. And Fetterman, and, uh, you know, Fetterman is being who he is. And so is McCormick. McCormick is like, okay, this is who I am. I'm from this area. I have an affinity for this area. Look at me. And I'm, I obviously under Texas, I'm, I'm home to run for the seat, um, even though I don't have to be. 
Yeah, I, I do wonder if Trump did, did break the seal on just say like there's there's a lot of what he got away with where it was like, oh, well, you said this super screwed up thing. And his answer is just, well, they were mean to me. And it's like that's something that in politics was just thought you couldn't say that. you Of course, you can't just get away with saying, yeah, I was angry because they said a mean thing first. But uh, uh, for, for that audience, and I think especially in primary, it, it rang true. Let's move on to Oz. Sure. Because the other side of this Trump thing is the fact that he was a massive celebrity. Uh, Dr. Oz might be a more pervasive celebrity, especially to certain demographics, high propensity voting demographics than Donald Trump was. So far, aside from what I thought was a bit of a skittish launch with him, uh, he didn't <laughs> seem to exactly have his 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 sea legs. I've been fairly impressed that he seems to be deploying what I think is his unique strength very well, which is he's got the money. He's got the charisma and the celebrity. He is talking on television directly to the audience constantly on the issues, rebutting negative ads against him personally. Uh, uh, what is your sense of of Dr. Oz's nascent political career? Okay, well, first of all, you got to enjoy the tan jacket that he's never worn before. And so, yeah. <laughs> I, I, jo I joked on the show that him in front of the factory looked about as natural as Derek Zoolander in the coal mine in, in Zoolander. <laughs> I, know. I know, yeah. Yeah, it just about as real as me dunking on a 10-foot rim. I mean, it's not <laughs> well, especially because yeah. he's got that TV polish. So he's just he's he's got uh -huh. that like shoulders back, like, like I'm here in front of a factory. And I'm this Dr. Oz, <laughs> and I'm being shot from the ground. So I look really tall. Exactly. You know? <laughs> he's got the yeah, Andre the Giant, like, you know, yeah. just like I'm from massive. the <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know, when I saw the ad, um, his launch ad, you know, I'm a conservative outsider. In other words, I'm not from here. I get it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, the um, the tan jacket. But the theme of the ad really was I can't be bought. Okay? Yes. And that's what he's decided is going to hit McCormick on. And when you hit McCormick with the China ad, you can tell that that's basically the main theme of this is that you can't buy me. That is very Trumpian. You can't yes. buy me. I'm rich. You can't buy me. And I'm going to be there for you. And by the way, he didn't go as, hi, I'm Mehmet Oz. No, I'm Dr. Dr. Oz. Oz. I, am, I, am, I, am, I am the guy right. from television. I just fell down the dial to another uh, I, station. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just on another commercial today. And yeah. I, and this is what I, and you know who I am. And, you know, the what there was some sort of like idiosyncrasies about the ad that sort of like undercut that he's kind of there for me. You know, the 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 jacket was weird, but everyone wears sort of like a, a jacket like that because that's their thought of like who a Pennsylvania voter might be that everyone wears that jacket. <laughs> this is this is what true. the pores wear. So right. this uh, is what the pores uh, yeah. wear. So this is what I'm gonna wear. Right. Exactly. I can't be bought, but I can buy your jacket. I'm gonna <laughs> wear it. Right. Um beyond that, he said, um, you know. Pennsylvania factories were closed, not our factories. You know, you lost your job. It wasn't we lost our jobs. Yeah. You know, it that, and it was like it was cheesy all the way to the end where he did the, you know, turning from the side and looking at the camera and yeah. doing the smile. Right. Like it was it was everything you would expect some TV guy to do. And then the other thing that I saw was in the comments 
he left the comments open, which which blew my mind. Like you can't do that anymore on YouTube and expect like it to go well. And in fact, it didn't go well. So yeah, you know, the very first comment is he's a carpetbagger. He's not an outsider. He's so outside. He's a carpetbagger. And it went on and on and on about, you know, he's in front of a factory that closed in 2003, LOL. And so, you know, there's sort of this craziness around him that is very Trumpian also, because like Oz is obviously not worried about that. Like he doesn't care. Like just keep talking about me. Like keep pushing yeah. this, keep pushing interactions so that this goes up the chain on YouTube and that more people see it. Right. Because if you take the comments off, it doesn't juice the algorithm like comments do. Yeah. So, you know, when positive, negative or neutral comments don't matter, as long as there are comments there, more people are going to see the Dr. Oz ad. And so it's actually to a certain extent, like against what you would say for as a consultant to your, your candidate. And it may have been a mistake, but it's actually smart if you want more people to see your ads actually open up the comments. I think it's curious to see exactly how serious either McCormick or Oz are taking YouTube. You know, I I did toward the end of the 2020 race, a comparison between Biden's YouTube and Trump's YouTube. And it was not in any way comparable, largely because Trump was running I think kind of the model of what the future uh, uh, political campaigns are are going to be, which is like he uploaded like 30 clips a day. Like it yeah. was bulk, 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 because he just Over- wanted overwhelming any, any kind yeah. of engagement at any moment. Like he wanted people to to like subscribe and just and be there where the Biden campaign very much used it as just a repository so people could find well, old stuff. political yeah. ads yeah, and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And, but, and like I said, there may not be a strategy to it, but you yeah. know, just for your listeners, it's actually kind of smart to leave the comments open because it does actually juice the algorithm as much as it could to get your ads around. Uh, obviously they'll be paying for the ads and they'll be geolocating in them. And so I'm in Virginia right now. I'll never see those ads ever again. No. Um, you know, but um, it was very interesting. And then the the hit ad on McCormick was your traditional, you know, McCormick is bad, and they hit him on his ties to China. China. Yeah, right after him, and you know, China gave us COVID, and they gave McCormick billions. Like it was just bam, bam. There was no subtlety to it. It was a very direct hit. You know, whereas the ads that went up against Oz, um, the Patriot Pact ad. You know, there was a, a, a fairly good use of Oz saying something about California and how he yeah. was for Obamacare. And that's always very bad. You know, I mean, that the candidate in their own words is always the worst version of themselves. Right. Um, but that ad actually ended on you can't trust everything you see on TV. Like that was the thing at the end. Yeah. Even though the woman who was talking over it said, you know, you can't trust Mehmet Oz. It actually said you can't trust everything you see on TV, which is really odd for a TV ad. Yes. <laughs> like, like so there were like some of these weirdly missteps, you know, by both campaigns where you say, okay, well, yeah, that's the opening ad, but that can't be the closing ad because that's kind of off here. You know, there's always something in these ads in the beginning where you look and you're like, yeah, that's, that's the version 1.0. They're going to get better at this as they go along. You know, uh... And since we're in we're in kind of the the season with football where coaches are fired and coaches are hired, people retiring, people retiring. Uh, uh, whenever there's a famous coach, successful coach, 
the people around them, their assistants, wind up getting hired for other jobs. And oftentimes you find out that those assistants, especially if it's a good, if they come from a team with a good coach and a good quarterback, might not have all that many skills. They might not be really, really, really great. Right. I think if you are hiring people from Trump's orbit, I would I would compare Trump to be like as a candidate. He is like a Patrick Mahomes, an Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, like just a physically like there's they're they're an anomaly. They're just going to make yeah. plays that other candidates or quarterbacks are not going to make that you can't that are not because you were smart and you told them to do it. It wasn't yeah. because you put them into a good system. They just did it. Mm-hmm. Uh and I wonder with with McCormick hiring a bunch of Trump uh, uh, folks, I'm like, I don't know if he's going to exactly get the money's worth uh, uh, out of that, because I don't know how much anybody involved in that campaign necessarily had much to do with it. But well, and they don't have final say too. like, to, yeah. to your point, you know, there's a lot of reporting over many different books and articles. And, and I know folks who have worked on the campaign and they will tell you, like, look, Trump always had the final say on everything. Yep. You know, he wrote his own tweets. You know, he he said, no, I don't like myself from that angle. I like myself from this angle. The lighting's off. Like he he thought like a producer. So the idea that you're going to then take one of his minions with you and go and win a campaign in Pennsylvania. okay, you know, I mean, they probably have some portable skills, but they're not they're not going to get you Trump sauce for you. The the two attack ad lines. Let's let's talk about the attack ads because the mm-hmm. attack ad lines from McCormick to Oz, or at least via Patriot Pack, which are supporting uh, uh, McCormick, is that Oz is a liar, and the attack ads from Oz to McCormick are McCormick's a crook. McCormick is He's he will, he, yeah he is bought and paid for, and specifically China, China. being the 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 big element of it which of those two do you think in general let's take it out of this campaign specifically you're a liar you're a crook which in general has more traction well liar only works if you actually don't know the person so like for example like they would call trump a liar but you already had this multi-year conversation with trump right you had him yeah you know, you had brands that you believed in. You, he had the number one television show on TV where he was the smartest guy in the room. So it was very hard to call Trump a liar because you knew something about him, right? So it's really hard for, um, you know, McCormick to go after Oz and say that he's a liar. Well, he's on TV. So, of course, there's some kind of cheesiness to it, right? So yeah. like you sort of bake that in. So you have to really find the thing that is going to blow Oz up. And I don't know that, you know, Obamacare, which probably most, a lot of people, you know, in Pennsylvania are probably made their peace with right now. Like Obamacare is not the biggest issue on on the planet right now. It really is COVID, right? And so when you're looking at what Oz did to, you know, McCormick, that's much more powerful. Okay. China brought us COVID and this dude is bought by China. That's it. Like it's very clean other than, you know, Oz is kind of bullshitter. He, he lies or he stretches the truth. And, oh, here are a couple of examples that you've never seen before. But with, you know, Oz's ad against McCormick, he knew exactly what he was going after there. And it's absolutely something that we're already thinking about. So I think it's a better hit on McCormick than, you know, the Patriot Packs on Oz at this point. I also 
think that the, uh, and I agree with you, I think that the China stuff gets the McCormick campaign to backpedal into like what you don't want to be doing. You are losing your race if you have to answer a single question about China. Right. If, if, if somebody, if, if the next ad is like, why yeah. won't David McCormick admit that China made the virus or something? Anything that is just getting you off your game of getting your talking points out there is, is a problem. And I do think that, you know, you could see that ad. You could see that ad tomorrow of, of why won't he talk about China? Why won't he disclose the money that he got from China? What yeah. is he hiding? Yeah. You're calling me, you're calling me a guy who, you know, is not authentic or is not a Republican. Well, all that's on TV. So you've seen it before, but what is he hiding? Yeah. Like that's worse, right? Here's, and here's my portfolio. My, my portfolio has no Chinese interest. Why right, won't the right, show his? Right. I can't be bought, by the way. You know, yeah. here's all the money that I have. Where's your money? You're, it's getting written by China. Yeah. And China gave us the virus and you, you know, you're a half step away from giving me the virus. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the undertone there. Right. They're, they're saying like China gave us the virus and he got this. They want you to think of virus and McCormick in the same sentence. And they just did. It. Something that we have not seen Patriot Pack or McCormick specifically pull mm-hmm. out. You might you might suspect that they are sitting on it for for as as we get closer to Election Day is the fact that, as you mentioned prior, McCormick is a veteran of the American military. Oz is also a veteran of the Turkish military. <laughs> he served overseas. Yeah. Uh, uh, not for the American uh, government. If you. He's kind of iffy in Turkey right now. Yeah. Things yeah, are not. Things are not great. Not great. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they are as defined for a average Pennsylvania voter in the same way. But is that something that you would expect? Back to be deployed at some point between now and and uh, uh, the the primary, if this is a close race. I don't think so. I mean, I, I think like that's probably the weakest hit that you can throw at Oz that he served in some military, right? Like, well, I served in the American military. Well, I served in the Turkish military, and by the way, they're a NATO ally. Like, it, yeah. it doesn't really it doesn't really hit. Now, if he served in the Chinese military or the Russian military, if you can sure. find that, if you can yeah. find that, yeah, then that, then that, that would be a lot of fun. Um, but you know, I don't know that too many people, you know, know who Ed Rogan is. He probably doesn't have high favorables of the people who know him, but you know, they probably has very low name ID too. So I, I don't know that people can even identify Turkey on the, on a map, um, or really know what's going on in Turkey. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's probably better to say, you're you're just not from around here, aren't you? You know, I guess. But that that I guess would be the way that you would want to phrase it is like right. you know, while, while McCormick here. was was serving uh, the the American military, B roll of you know uh, yeah. saluting Dr. soldiers on Oprah's couch. You know, by the way, he never served in our military, but you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess yeah. I guess that would be that would be the way to go is make him explain it by saying I served in in, in the Turkish military like that that Oz yeah. never served in in the American military but even then it's like you know since we spent so much talking time talking about this because I do think this is a fascinating dissection of a post Trump world especially with big right. personalities and how you handle certain outsider candidacies I do wonder how much does military matter I mean yeah. like yeah. I, and I don't think it's really mattered much. No, I mean, we just got out of Afghanistan. 
you know, we're out of Iraq. Um, you know, nobody cares about anyone being anywhere right now, forward leaning. We're we're leaning back from from Ukraine. Uh, there's there's no. I mean, there's probably some you know marginal benefit to being a veteran at this point, running for office, but it's not as high on everyone's scales at this point, right? I mean, what they could say about Oz is like, look, you're just not from around here, you know, and and like to me, like that would be the answer. Like, look, I grew up here, you know. You just got here, man. You know, why don't you go back to California and talk about Obamacare? You know, yeah. I mean, like that's as opposed to going back to Turkey because unless he's going to go full on, you know, show me your your papers, dude. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, you know, which he's not going to do. I mean, McCormick's not going to do that. Um, unless he's going to do that, then talking about Turkey really is probably a bridge too far. And um, like I said, bridges are crumbling in Pittsburgh. In yeah, in Pennsylvania already. Oh man! If he went full, show me your birth certificate. I mean that that would be the sign of a truly, that's truly cool, unhinged right? BS. Yeah, you know, bad, bad. I mean, that's how you get Trump out and saying, "Yeah, he's my guy." <laughs> uh, I'm going to give you fifty dollars. You have to bet it right now. Does Trump endorse either of these two, and which of the two before primary day? No, he doesn't endorse. I he's think he stuck. stays out of it. Yeah, too. He, he's stuck between his own people who are probably telling him a McCormick. And who he really wants to do, which is Oz, who's it? Because TV it's the splashiest, craziest yeah. thing. Who's yeah. a TV bullshitter just like he is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that, that's who he really probably wants in his real MAGA heart um, is to go Oz. Um, but he probably won't. And he'll, he'll be marginally interested in it if someone says something um, anti Trump. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Cohen, of course, the author of Modern Political Campaigns, How Professionalism, Technology, and Speed of Revolutionized Elections, and the creator of Congress in Your Pocket, which I have to say I have used uh, a lot, especially uh, as we are getting into things that are congressionally dependent, like Supreme Court nomination, seeing who's on those committees. Uh, uh, we're about, we, we talked earlier in this podcast about the federal budget, and that has to go through all the committees. Very interesting to have at your fingertips the list of everybody that is serving there. Uh, uh, Michael, where can people get this? Well, they can get the book anywhere books are sold and usually at the public library also. Just did a book talk to my local public library. It was so much fun. And the app mm -hmm. you can get um, either on Google Play or in the App Store. And uh, if you have a large organization, you can contact me directly and we get special discounts for big, big groups. Fantastic. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, sir. Great seeing you. And that's going to wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is hosted and written by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Thank our buddy Michael for coming on the show and sharing his expertise in terms of uh, political science about this battle in PA. Head on over to px3guest.com. That will take you right to his Twitter. I would greatly appreciate you letting him know you appreciated his point of view. You can always email me, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. My Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px3live. You can watch me live Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, get on in the morning, have a little coffee, talk a little politics. It's a fun time. My newsletter, as infrequent as it is, can be found at px3newsletter.com. Share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy. 
px3podcast.com. And our merch, politicsmerch.com. Of course, you can support us. PayPal.me slash payjury with a one-time donation. Same thing on the old Venmo, Justin-Young-20. And and yeah, let me let me look it up. Someone got me. Someone got me. They they boomed me, man. Y'all got me good because I on the PX3 extra. Matt. Matt paid me two bucks and said a couple bucks for when you wake up this morning and realize there's still one day left of dry January. You boom me. If you would like to uh, uh, send me cash on Cash App, it is PX3 Cash and anything physical in the mail, including just straight cash out of your wallet. <laughs> you just want to give me a dollar, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it. P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 1531-84, Austin, Texas, 78715. If you want bonus content, however, the only place you get it is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the show. Like the fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arslanian, DJ Katie Mack, Neemeister, Dr. G, Lord Scale, Dakin Sayani, Le Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Blurbus Unum, Pete Spicetti, TV Salesman, or Spy, D. Really, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please, Dot Com Junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant Poopers, Diana Scathing Scowls, Double K Ranch, you open ball shop. John, Snuffy's off Route 44. Super Zoomy. Neil, Charles, Darren, Olin, and Angela. DL, Stephen, Chad, Miranda, Janelle, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle aged Mike, the Gen, J Pink, and Andrew. If you'd like your name, Red, well, only one place to do it. Head on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Next time I speak to you on the main feed, uh, we will see the return of Andrew Heaton. He's going to talk about an episode that he just released on his feed, The Political Orphanage, diving deep into an issue that I have certainly uh, uh, thought a lot about I have not done the research that Heaton has, but I have a ton of questions about it. Something that is unavoidable in pretty much every place that I've lived over the last, well, 10 years now. Homelessness. What it is, what you can do about it, why it seems to be worse than ever in some of our biggest, richest, glittering American cities. That is all next time. But in the meantime, a reminder, some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss oh, three.
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.